Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Welcome to Going for the Green on the Fantasy Sports Network. I'm Michael Leone of DailyRoto.com here with Colin Drew, also of DailyRoto.com, to bring you this week's golf show. We'll be breaking down the Quicken Loans National Tournament played at TPC Potomac at Avenal Farm. Before we do that, Colin, uh, let's take a look at last week's tournament, the Travelers, and uh, Bubba Watson ended up coming through. I know our friend Pat Mayo over at DraftKings was calling for a Bubba Watson victory. He's told me he's hit only two outright bets this year, and they've both been Bubba Watson. So I guess he's the Bubba Watson whisperer. We'll have to listen to him. It was kind of painful for the DR side of things, though, as we're generally a bit lower than the market on Bubba Watson and a bit higher than the market on Paul Casey. So I know in our subscriber Slack chat, there was a lot of contention with some people sweating the showdown slate who used Bubba Watson and got a huge boost there given all the DraftKings points he scored in the showdown slate. But it hurt a lot of the week-long people is with Casey blowing a four-stroke lead. I don't remember, I don't know if you remember the exact odds that Data Golf had him winning going into the final round, but it had to be pretty high with a four-stroke lead. Yeah, it was it was up there. Um, I don't remember the exact number either, but I, I want to say it was like you know, 75-80%, pretty close to that. Definitely Bubba coming from so far back on Sunday wasn't expected just because even an average round out of Paul Casey and he would have been able to kind of seal that victory, but he definitely hit his floor. Um, it was a really frustrating week, I think. Well, a frustrating end to the week. I know it was looking really good for me going into Sunday. I still ended up profitable, still, you know, won a few hundred bucks, like 10% or so ROI, but it was looking so much better than that. And I don't know. We had talked a little bit about Bubba on the podcast. We've talked to him about him a lot this year just because so much bad data in his, in his long-term projection from last year when he was, you know, underweight and playing with the, the pink balls. And, um, but then at the end of the day, like you never get ownership discounts on him in these course history spots. And so it was a situation that even if you kind of accounted for that, and I know Drew bumped him manually and played him. And so he did maybe a little bit better there, but uh, you're still not getting a great GPP play. Um, but definitely awesome for everybody who bet him in the outright betting markets. Um, frustrating Sunday though, just because of, you know, day kind of fell apart on the front nine before putting together some birdies and the streak on the back and then Casey with the blow up and, you know, you know, Griot was just average. And so overall, it was looking like a really promising week. I think at one point, uh, DR Slack might have had a 25% chance to win the, the $5, uh, GPP and didn't come through. But, um, I don't know. I feel like things have been going good for us in general. So hoping we can continue that momentum. Yeah, it's hard because golf is very variant just in the sense that it's once a week. So a few good weeks in a row, you feel like you're really rolling when, you know, for DFS baseball or NBA, that's only three days. It's like nothing. But it does feel like we're on a little bit of a roll here uh, with some of the value plays. We were flooding the top of the leaderboard. It was an up and down week for me after Thursday. 
it looked like I was going to crush the field in six of six teams. Then, you know, Revy and Perez had some painful oh. missed cuts. Perez. And, yeah. Perez that one missed, was bad, man. That one hurt. He missed, I think, two sub-two-foot putts on the final two holes to miss by – he missed by two strokes because he missed them both. But um, he was probably tilting after he missed that first one. That's what I tell myself, at least. He definitely would have made the second one if he made the first one. But, yeah, so then I was – you know, I went from I'm going to win a lot to I'm not going to win anything to, oh, you know, with Day up there, Casey up there, I'm still going to have a pretty good week. At, uh, you know, I did not come out on top like you did. And with Bubba, it just seems like every time he's chalk, he does well. As you, you said, you don't really get the ownership discount. Even if you were to manually bump him, it almost seems not worth it because he went through a stretch where it was like, okay, there's bad data and, you know, he's playing well and, you know, maybe we should bump him out. But then he had a stretch where he, you know, he wasn't really playing that well, you know, even up to this tournament. And then he's chalk because of the course history and it works out. So, yeah, uh, I, I think in those situations, I'm kind of just okay taking my L and moving on. <laughs> Maybe that's stubbornness. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think, I mean, course history in general, like the data golf guys have obviously done a really good job studying it and like mathematically showing why it's, you know, maybe not very predictive, but that doesn't mean that there couldn't be a situation where somebody, um, like for whatever reason, like courses do, do fit their game. And you're always trying to figure out, like, is there something actually there? Is it just this outlier that people are clinging to for a while? You know, it's the, the Luke Donald at RBC Heritage and, uh, then you, you got Bubba at the Bubba courses and I don't know. I mean, Maybe there's stuff there with Bubba and the way that he shapes his shots. It's certainly he plays golf in a very unique way, and you can see why that might work some places and why at like the, the Open Championship or things like that, um, it doesn't seem to work as well when the weather is really up. And I don't think you know. I think if anything, he has definitely some of the more polarizing course history trends of any golfer on tour. Um, but at least this week, we don't really have to deal with course history. We don't. And, and enough looking backwards, let's look forward. And the reason we don't have to look at course history too much is the Quicken Loans National is going to be played at TPC Potomac at Avenel Farm. It's only been there one year. So if you're looking at the event history, keep in mind that it's only been at this current venue for one year. And it was some interesting data, just one year of data, and it's hard to go into course fit too much based off of that. But last year, Colin, the data got golf guys, the way they break down the percentage of strokes gained and where they came from, a ton of strokes gained came from off the tee. And it seemed like almost all of that came at the expense of strokes gained putting. So off the tee play does seem important. I did the show with Pat Mayo. He was saying how it's one of those courses where it's definitely going to penalize you if you're not hitting fairways. And we did see it play really difficult last year. It was the fourth hardest course on tour, harder than the U.S. Open and the players. Some of that's due because this is a very poor field that's unadjusted for field strength. But uh, it's something to keep in mind both in terms of the course fit, the type of golfer you're looking at, and also in terms of, you know, if you're playing FanDuel Draft Kings, the type of roster construction you're looking at, because you're going to want an emphasis on finish points over scoring points if it's going to play difficult again. Yeah, definitely. And um, I... One of the uh, Twitter followers had reached out, Max Steinberg, about a tweet that we had sent out on the course playing so difficult and had brought up a question was like, 
what, what, what was the weather like last year? And I actually didn't remember off the top of my head. So I looked back with Wonderground, which um, offers some historic weather information and found that the weather was actually a little bit gusty. There were gusts up to 20, 25 miles per hour, sustained winds, 10 miles per hour. So definitely not the best conditions to play this course with narrow fairways in last year. And then if you look at the underlying shot length data, you found that uh, there was a high percentage of balls that were going in the water at this course. Uh, I want to say it was around 5.6% of tee shots that either ended up in the water or the native area. So that's almost a, a shot in the tee per golfer over the course of 18 holes. And the wind definitely would contribute to that, especially with the narrow fairways. Weather looks a little bit more mild this year. Uh, it's definitely going to be warm, but it's not going to be very windy. And so it's possible that led to it playing maybe a little bit tougher than it will this year um, and I think that is partially also explains why you saw such heavy trends as far as strokes gained off the team mattering so um, definitely love it when people ask smart questions on Twitter just because it makes me go look at things that we, we kind of have access to look at and have access to the research but you need someone to kind of probe that question and so um, I don't know I think It'll probably still play difficult. Sounds like everyone who's talking about it still thinks it's a difficult course, um, but perhaps not quite as hard as it played last year with a little bit friendlier weather here in the D.C. area. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm going on Saturday with my wife, so we'll be out walking around, firing out some round three showdown lineups together on the trip over there. Is Emily going with you, or is she uh, staying staying home? <laughs> no, no, she's she's going with the babysitters. Yeah, we had uh, we ha- we talked about that, and then we're like, I don't know, bringing a one year old to golf, <laughs> it's not safe for her, and it's definitely not a good uh, environment for the players if you got a, a baby screaming out random things and like hot walking around. Yeah, and, yeah. and plus so, we're gonna need you heckling. If you hear anybody screaming dailyroto.com, you know who it is. <laughs> We know who it is. Well, hopefully, if we're playing the showdown slate on Saturday, we're going to have to get you out um, to cause some disruptions out there. <laughs> but um, back to the course, it is, as you said, it, it probably still plays somewhat difficult, even not as difficult. It's uh, over 7,100 yard, par 70. Kyle Stanley is the defending champ here. But again, not a whole lot to look at in the course history. So let's look forward to this week from both the betting and fantasy perspective. And uh, Colin, I know we've got a promo going on uh, from the betting side of things. Yeah, we've got a promo going on with my bookie. So if you want to bet tournament matchups and head-to-heads this week, I'll be betting those at my bookie. Um, if you sign up for a new account, use the promo code FNTSY. And you'll get an option to get a 50% deposit bonus with a rollover requirement. Uh, I just went, made my deposit super smooth, pretty easy. Nice opportunity to, to hedge against some chalk fades or to load up some more on Francesco Molinari. Uh, I was looking at some of the head-to-head matchups earlier today to find some plus EV spots, running them through the betting tool um, that we offer at Daily Roto. And uh, there are definitely some opportunities. So Molinari minus 145 over J.B. Holmes was one of the head-to-heads that we like. Um, so obviously, Data Golf is always really high in Molinari. I definitely think it's a course that seems like it would fit Molinari anyways if you want to layer that. On top of that, you are laying some pretty big juice on him, but we've got him 62% to win that in a four-round matchup. So 9% expected value. You there, and then Charles Howell the third we have as a plus EV bet over both Bo Hostler and Kevin Na. A little bit lower margins there as far as the expected value, five percent and four percent respectively. But um, like him in both of those head-to-head matchups, in total I found about eight spots that um, generated plus EV 
outcomes um, in the you know layering our tools over the the odds over at my bookie so um, definitely i'll be posting those in the some of those in the betting blog the others are available to subscribers um, and if you are going to create an account under the pro promo code fntsy for the sign up bonus all right, yeah, it should be fun. I didn't get a chance to run our usual betting tools for Bet365 just because I had some um, browser URL issues. Hopefully that will get sorted, though, over the rest of the week. You can check those out at DailyRoto.com if you're a premium subscriber. So um, it should be a fun tournament. You mentioned Francesco Molinari, our boy. Uh, he's an expensive option this week at 10-6 on DraftKings. Uh, but let's start in the $11,000 range on DraftKings, Colin, where we've got Ricky Fowler at 11.7, Mark Leishman at 11.2, and Tiger Woods at 11K. I think even if this course doesn't play quite as hard as last year, still looking at a reduced scoring environment, and with the weak field, it makes sense to build stars and scrubs. Everything I'm looking at indicates that's the case, and we've got Fowler clearly above the rest of the field. He's first in the data golf adjusted strokes gained among this field in six months strokes gained, one-year strokes gained, two-year strokes gained. The only one he's not first in is the two-month metric, and he's second in that. So uh, it feels, I don't know, it just feels to me like Fowler hasn't had this great of a year, but you look at the data compared to him and everyone else in this field, and he is. Um, clearly the the most talented. Yeah, there's no argument from the there. The only thing I'm trying to figure out is just the macro scoring environment in that perspective. Uh, we talked about how hard this course did play last year. We expect it to play hard again this year, even if it softens up a little bit. And because of that, the value of the finishing points on DraftKings, they're going to make up a larger percentage of the total scoring. And that's going to matter for cash games and for tournaments. We talk about it a lot at the U.S. Open, and sometimes it doesn't matter quite as much other weeks. And this week, I definitely think it does. The other thing that we didn't talk about is the fact that this is an invitational tournament. 120-man field means the odds of getting a 6-6 lineup through are going to be easier. So you're not taking on that much risk, um, and you are generating a lot of upside and security. I think the best teams, if you build with the made cut projections um, that you build through Fowler, can generate around 18% chance of getting 6-6 through the cut. If you want to optimize and exclude Fowler, you can get a team up to almost 23%, but you're not going to have the same uh, upside. And so so I definitely think that uh, Fowler is the, the guy to lean on up top. I think that playing Fowler is definitely uh, a possibility in cash games. And I think that he would be the only guy I'd recommend in this range in cash games. Um, I don't I don't think it makes sense to take the discount for Tiger. Um, for GPPs, kind of trying to sig- figure out where the ownership is going to be. Um, feel like if Tiger and Fowler are you know equally owned, I definitely want Ricky's side. Um, I think that even at like Leishman just feels overpriced to me. So even if he's at, you know, 10 or 15 percent ownership, I think I'd rather play Ricky at like 20 or 25. Yeah, I think the ownership is going to matter a lot this week. And that doesn't mean you can't play a chalk guy because you said someone like Ricky, if he's 25, you know, even though that's high, might be among the highest. Uh, that might not be as chalky as he should be in this field. But in a lot of spots, because it's a weak field, there's a lot of pivots, and people are going to lean on some narrative-type stuff, and it's going to drive up some ownership on some guys and some price ranges that probably don't be there, don't deserve to be driven up so high that the ownerships are going to matter a lot. I know you do a great job with the ownership projections in our DailyRoto.com premium subscription early look. We do have Tiger and Ricky at 25%. Um, there are some builds where you could go Tiger-Ricky, in tournaments, 
I know looking at some of the off the tee stuff last year, at first I was a little concerned about Tiger, but given what you said about the weather and how uh, with all the water balls and stuff that that could be skewed a little bit. And also, you know, it's a lot shorter than the U.S. Open was. So even though the Tiger's 123rd in the world off the tee, if he can club down, um, doesn't need to hit driver like he did at the U.S. Open, another tough course, um, but much longer course in terms of hitting the fairway. I, I still think he's a pretty good option for GPPs. I'm going to mix and match a lot of like heavy studs and duds lineups. Even if in cash games, I might stick to just one guy from this group. But we actually do view Francesco Molinari as the second best guy in this field, slightly above Tiger, and he comes at a discount to Tiger at $400. And he is someone who is very strong off the tee, six in strokes gained off the tee this year. And Data Golf has him ranked 13 in the world. Um, they just released their top 100 rankings. At the end of the show, maybe we'll squabble about those, Colin. But um, we have him ranked 13th, which is really high given his consistent strokes gained relative to the field. You know, some of that seems to happen in uh, Euro where we don't get the benefit as much in the Euro DFS contest. But uh, hopefully Moly comes through for us this week. Would you consider building a Fowler Moly build in cash, or you think that still puts too much strain on the roster? I think it probably puts too much strain on the roster. Um, I'd consider splitting the two. If it, um, or, yeah, I think I'd consider splitting the two. I talked about the ability to generate um, the 6-6, six six, high, the highest 6-6 six six probabilities, around 23% odds to get 6-6 six six through the cut, and that's with the Molinari build. So um, I think those are kind of the two options for cash games. They're definitely my two preferred options for tournaments if, if paying up, depending where Tiger's ownership ends up. Um, unfortunately, it just it kind of seems like the way things are shaking out this week, um, there's not a ton of leverage to be had for me at the top and the guys that I like there are going to be the chalky ones and so I'm either going to be pay- playing the, the chalk up top or I'm going to be trying to dodge the range altogether which just seems uncomfortable given the scoring environment this week. Yeah, so rest of these 10K guys, J.B. Holmes, Kyle Stanley, do you have interest in them as tournament pivots? I think they're pretty clearly stay away in cash games, or as you said, you know, you're just going to eat the, that chalk with uh, Fowler or Moley. Um, I, I don't have a lot of interest. I mean, they're, they're going to be inside the top 10, you know, as far as our rankings for this field. And so from that perspective, yeah, they're they're in the playable pool of players. Like if I, if I, I don't know what I'm going to do from a, um, contest perspective, if I'm going to enter like 100 teams or focus on, you know, three max type stuff or, or single entry builds. So yeah, if you're making a bunch of teams, you might end up with some exposure to them because they are going to be inside the top 10 players. But for the most part, um, not going to be comfortable anchoring on one of them. And I think there are comparable values that can be found a lot cheaper, uh, that kind of have the same ownership and cheaper price tag and the same top 20 upside that I would prefer to play. And so, if I'm, you know, probably won't end up with Stanley or J.B. Holmes as sort of the anchor of my teams unless I go with like a 150 lineup week. Yeah, that makes sense because, as you said, they're not good value. So three max single entry, even if they're lower owned, it's not worth it for a bad value. If you're MMEing, 
you need to get a certain amount of win equity into your lineups. I'm a big believer in that, and some of that comes down to playing guys that might not be good values but have that highest raw chance of actually winning the tournament. And if they're inside the top ten, uh, you can only you should only fade so many of those guys so that you can keep that win equity. Uh, but for cash games, yeah, we're not interested in them. And this whole nine K range isn't all that interesting to me in cash games. I think the the move is to go with that one expensive golfer, whether it's more who makes building a little bit easier. You can kind of do like a hybrid build or you're going with father and you can go more studs and dudsy, but then you go like with the 8K, 7K guys and balance out there rather than forcing like this mid-high range. We've got Jimmy Walker at 9,600, Kevin Knott, 9,400, Bull Hustler, 9,300, Kyrdas Apibarnrat at 9,200, and Neiman at 9,000. Uh, in terms of the top 10 guys here in win probability, the only one that makes our top 10 in our finish probabilities is Jimmy Walker. So that gives you an idea of um, how this field kind of flattens out after the really top guys, and you don't need to make these stands in cash games. A couple guys that are interesting here, though, at least from a tournament perspective. I know Neiman, uh, a lot of hype around him. He's had a very volatile performance thus far. If you look at his game log on DraftKings, you see three out, only three out of seven made cuts, but those are top ten. So uh, someone that I'm going to be looking at ownership quite a bit, and I think he's going to end up a little bit chalky, and I think at that point uh, it's probably a fade for me. Yeah, I think I probably agree. Um, you mentioned that some of these guys are outside of the top 10 as far as win probabilities, but um, with the top 20 odds, it's worth noting that there's really not a huge difference between uh, someone like J.B. Holmes, who I think is 10th in our top 20 probabilities, 32% probabilities, and then uh, some of these other guys, you're kind of only sacrificing 3 to 5%, um, and you can find a bunch of guys that are kind of in that same range all the way down through the $8,000 range, whereas if you compare J.B. Holmes to Fowler, it's like 60% to T20 versus 32%. So that's that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Um, I agree on Neiman. I think it's it's just a, a tough ownership play in tournaments um, based on where we haven't projected. I do think it's a guy that in the custom fancy projections over at Daily Roto, that if you want to kind of toggle up the recent form and, and kind of pull back on the long-term form slider for him just because he's such a young player, you can kind of see what type of an adjustment um, you'd want to make there. I know that the finished probability model has him 23rd in the field. The fantasy model is only 34th, so fantasy model a little bit slower to catch up to him. I think he's probably worthy of a, a four-point or so um, bump as far as the fantasy projections, but again, you're talking about a similar situation where the ownership is going to be there as well, and so um, you got to find some spots for leverage, and if I'm not going to do it up top, then this is one of the ranges that I'd be looking to do that. Uh, I think that Jimmy Walker and Kevin Na are a couple of the guys that seem like their ownership could come in, it's early in the week, but come in a little bit lower and um, maybe fall into a price range that it's a little bit harder to fit them in, so I think those would be some interesting guys if you're going with a balanced contrarian build. I know Seabass in our Daily Roto Slack chat is going to manually bump Oppie Barnrat. I was interested to see Ken Palm Golf tweeted out their win probabilities. They had him at the fourth highest, uh, which caught my eye a little bit. Do you foresee any sort of manual bump there? The ownership doesn't look like it'll get up as high as Neiman's. Um, 
I'm not sure about manual bumper down. I, I think the probability model kind of has him um, as a, a, not a great play, but a reasonable play, a little bit overpriced. I know Melissa is actually, believe it or not, a big Affy Barn Rat fan. So she's going to make a lineup this week so she can sweat it. And I definitely think that Affy Barn Rat is going to be on her team. <laughs> All right. And she's going to the tournament. So, you know, we'll be, we'll be, I got to follow Barn Rat. He better make the cut. So yeah, maybe she'll run good. Uh, let's go to the 8K range then. And you're definitely going to have to look to this range, I think, in cash games. You're going to be grabbing someone from here. And the guy I, I like, I always like, is Ben Ann, who is, I think he's 10th in the PGA Tour in strokes gained off the tee. He's really high up there. If he's not 10th, he's somewhere around there. And he's at $8,600 and. One of the few guys in this field where I feel like the prices on a lot of these guys are $1,000 more than they would be in a regular field or $1,500 more than they would be in a regular field. Like pretty steep rises, whereas on you, you generally do see him high sevens, eights. Maybe we've seen him a little bit more on the low sevens this year, but I feel like that raw price bump uh, isn't quite as high for him. Yeah, definitely seen like yeah, maybe a few hundred bucks more than where he is in some stronger fields, but definitely not the fifteen hundred dollar bump you get in on some other guys. Charles Howell III was the one that just stood out to me. You're looking for someone to not take penalty strokes, someone to hit the ball and play off the tee. Good iron player. I think Charles Howell III is a solid play for cash games. Um, you know, you could make an argument that he should be priced up in the ten thousand dollar range in this field, um, but. Seems like the type of guy that you could fit into any of these roster constructions. He could potentially be the second guy on your team with a, a Fowler team and still have decent money to spend elsewhere. Or he could be the third guy if you try to go with a little bit more balance. So imagine I'll end up with a bit of him. Always a popular name in fantasy golf. Especially this week when people can't find names to trust. It feels like Chucky Three Sticks is, he's just kind of there for you. So I, I imagine the ownership will creep towards 20%. Um, maybe not the best large field GPP play at that level, but not um, not at an over-owned level either. I think he's a preferred play off of Neiman. And like I said, I bet him in two different head-to-head markets. In the low 8Ks, there's a few guys that are pretty interesting. I'm looking at Jason Hadley, Jamie Lovemark, and Gary Woodland. Lovemark's made nine of his last ten cuts. Seven of those have been top 30s. Hadley has missed the cut two straight events. One of those was the U.S. Open, where he really didn't play that badly when you look at uh, the, the course and the strength of the field, even though he ended up missing the cut there last year or last year, last week, he did play poorly and it was kind of chalky. If people don't go back to him, I think he's interesting lower own. And then Woodland's a guy that's really tough to get a handle on. I've mostly been avoiding him lately, but in a weaker field to get him as maybe your second or third most expensive golfer, uh, and you know he's got that upside in him if you look at the longer-term skill. Um, do you have any strong opinions on any of these three guys? No, I mean, the guys that you mentioned are the guys that I'm looking at as well. Um, I think they're kind of the the safest plays in the range. I definitely, I think J.B. Lovemark is a guy that for tournaments I have some interest in, uh, but I'm not sure I trust him in on this course. Um, I know Drew and I talked a little bit last week about course fit sometimes with like some of the value players. You, I, I might weigh it a little bit more heavily than I do with some of the proven commodities. And I feel like this, this event is like full of just guys who are all value players so not sure what to do with Lovemark more of a tournament play I think um, Charles Howell Woodland are the guys for cash games and 
Um, I think Hadley will be just interesting. I'm trying to figure out his ownership. I know he was popular last week at a much cheaper price, missed the cut, but he's been popular for so long and mostly delivered. So I feel like the ownership will still be there for him, but I definitely like him. Um, seems like there's not a ton separating some of these guys in this range. So a lot of it's going to be an ownership call or a course fit call. Uh, I think Kevin Streelman could be pretty low owned. So he might end up as a decent leverage play just because he's a few hundred dollars more expensive than these other guys. And I think Patrick Rogers is the one guy that stood out to me as being really overpriced and probably a guy that won't have any exposure to in the high seven K's. Uh, is Andrew Putnam going to be the bad chalk this week? You know, we saw it with CT Pan last week, Joel Dahman a couple of weeks ago. I know he's played well, and the two-month adjusted strokes gain for this field, Data Golf has him as having played the uh, sixth best, which is obviously really good, 25th best over the last six months. But the longer-term skill form, they have him more of like, you know, top 25-ish to 30th type player in this field. And our, you know, very early ownership projections, these are subject to change, but have him coming in around 20%, which is significantly higher than any one ounce that we're projecting in the 7K range currently. Um, it's tough. I don't, I don't know if he's quite as bad shock. I do think there are a lot of comparable pivots off of him. Um, but we have him, I think, rated as a strong enough play that I wouldn't consider him just a bad play outright. Um, and I like him, you know, there might only be four or five guys that I like as much as him versus like some of these other weeks where his dominant CT pan, there were like 10 or 12 guys, but the ownership is definitely out of control. I think we kind of might have glossed over the bad shock, which might be David Lingmurth. Um, so, I guess that would be, I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but um, that would be the guy that I would kind of look at as potentially being the bad chalk who is a little bit overpriced off of the course history here in something that we're trying not to value too much this week. Um, a lot of names in this range uh, up towards the upper end. I think you, you kind of flag Putnam as a decent um, a decent outright play, but perhaps over-owned if you want to go just below him to Bill Haas and Martin Laird. I think those guys come in at half the ownership. They're definitely better tournament plays. Um, and so towards the upper end of the range, I think that's where I'm looking. I noticed it's also a week that Siwoo Kim is popping for us a little bit, which <laughs> I, I, it might have. this might be the first time. Like last, last week was the first time we were on Bo Hostler. This week might be the first time that we actually have Siwoo Kim projected as a decent play. Yeah, and we've seen some more consistency out of him this year, I feel like. We've seen less extreme uh, nature in his results, and maybe that's why. And uh, someone that you can get high-end finish upside from, I don't know if that narrative Siwoo Kim's just based on randomness of some of his high-end finishes or if he actually there's something about the variance in his game that he's a high-end finisher, but... Um, I think it's something at least worth considering in tournaments this week with the emphasis on place points and um, a little bit easier to get guys through the cut. So let's move down this spectrum, though. In that middle of the 7K range, along with Siwoo Kim, you've got some other guys that we like. And Nick Watney and Brian Gay stick out. I think Watney will be pretty low-owned. Uh, Ryan Palmer... I right away based on this field is another guy kind of like Siwoo where I think, okay, he's got legitimate upside, but he's just played so poorly this year that I don't think even at low ownership, I'm going to have any of him. Um, do, do you see yourself biting at all on Ryan Palmer? No, definitely not. I mean, <laughs> I like it. I, I had enough of him a couple of years ago. Um, I haven't played him much this year. Hasn't really I shown me Drew a reason won to. won the, uh, the club pro with him last year. I believe. 
Yeah, he, he might have. He, he, he won more than I have. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, so, Nick Watney, who I mentioned, though, his six-month adjusted strokes gained rank uh, in this field's 21st, two-month is 22nd. So he's someone who's like in decent form and I, you know, he's not going to carry a whole ton of buzz. Yeah, I think those are good kind of tournament guys. Wani Gay, Sabatini, uh, I think are kind of falling in a little bit of a dead zone for ownership where they should be kept in the single digits. Um, obviously, Adam Hadwin is going to be a big decision for tournaments. Uh, the early ownership projections aren't crazy high, but it's going to be hard to see it not creeping towards 15, 20% by the time Wednesday rolls around. Kind of falls into the same pattern that we saw last week with Grio where they're just underpriced. We've got them 28% to T20, 75% to make the cut though. And that's one of the things with fades or pivots that you're thinking of is one, is there a pivot that can outscore this person outright? You can get a benefit from that. The second thing is that you can get benefit if the player misses the cut and you can get a ton of leverage on the field there with the Invitational tournament, the made cut probabilities are higher, so there's really only 25% of the time that you're going to get any leverage from Hadwin missing the cut, at which case the the appeal of a fade seems a little bit less to me, and I think I'm more likely to play um, Adam Hadwin even if he's chalk, unless I think there are certain tournaments where it's going to hit you know 35, 40%, which I think we did see last week, um, maybe even 50 or 60% Grillo in some of the smaller field stuff. Yeah, he was in the three maxes that high, and it'll be interesting where Hadwin comes in. Like, if he's 15 to 20%, I really don't care. I think he's that good of a play down here as you do. I'll eat the chalk. Uh, he's the same price as Sun Kang, who we have to needle Drew about taking Sun Kang over Alex Noren in the last round of our Daily Roto internal season-long draft. Um, I'd say we don't let Drew forget it, but really he's the one who doesn't let us forget it week in and week out. <laughs> his season long uh, team is. I mean, his season's over. It's been a, been a rough one for him, but but we I don't know. We did the payout. We did some side bets based on money won. So as bad as it is, he like still has to pay attention and sweat because he's going to lose just way more money than we worse. thought was even possible. But uh, yeah, so some other options down here. Uh, who are you looking at, Drew? Drewby? I'm. CT Pan, I think, is in play this week. Was off him last week. Stronger field. Um, gonna get him at a cheaper price. Lower ownership this week. Same golfer. So I think he's in play for tournaments. I'm not sure I would go there in cash games. I think just Hadwin's right there. So it depends if you need multiple guys. Um, James Hahn seems like he's generating a lot of buzz this week. I don't know how much of it is just people mentioning the ace that he had last week. I know Drew had him on a couple teams, um, and that ended up being pretty big for him, at least as far as sweats go. I don't think any of it came through. Um, but th- there's kind of like 10 guys that are kind of all between like 15 to 20% odds T20, not really loving any of them. Um, and so one of the things that – um, I'm considering it's just dropping down to the $7,000 and going with someone like JJ Spawn. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be uh, super low owned compared to the other names in this group, but he's, you know, cheap enough. I think, you know, 10% or so he still seems like a good play that you could consider for cash games. And I think for um, tournaments, I think makes a lot of sense, especially if you're going with the more stars and scrubs bill. Yeah, I think there's a lot of guys you can make a case for down here. And the the one reason why I like this week, even though the field's really weak, I feel like if you do that stars and scrubs approach, and maybe even to an extreme extent in tournaments, taking two 10K-plus guys, uh, what you do is you, you – and, and I was talking about this on Mayo's show. Generally, we have 
a lot of golfers that we're familiar with and we even without a set of data we can have some degree of confidence where their skill set resides relative to the other golfers in the field and then we can use things whether it's course fit you know we don't use course history as much but some other people do course history recent form um some recent strokes gained data whatever it is you can differentiate on yourself and the lean on uh having the data tell you who's the better of the skill golfers isn't as important i think it's very important every week but i think you can get away some weeks more than not with making those determinations yourself based on like side uh reasoning whereas this week i think really understanding the skill of the golfer um which is something with these names we're not as familiar with is very difficult to do is going to place an emphasis on having access to a projection system like we do powered by data golf at dailyroto.com and that's going to allow me to mme and just sprinkle a bunch of these guys in the low side 7Ks, high 6K range with my studs and duds roster. And hopefully I'm beating the field with A, just smart macro roster construction and optimizing those finish points, taking advantage of the invitational style. And two, just avoiding the really bad plays down here. Some things, sometimes the best thing you can do in DFS golf is just avoid the bad plays. So, you know, a handful of guys I'm considering down here, Jason Kokrak, Andrew Landry, we like a lot in our fantasy model at $6,900. You start looking at some other guys in our finished probability model that pop you mentioned jj spawn he's up there uh you also get uh you know ted potter jr i hate to say but his adjusted strokes gain data over the last two months is really strong um someone like that i might take his shot on again a lot of these guys are sprinkles but i'm just by myself looking forward to mme this week and just mixing and matching a lot with these guys not being super heavy on any one of them but cutting out the bad plays and getting access to 10 or 15 of these guys to round out rosters yeah, I think that makes sense. And I, I mean, even think that building that way in cash games, if you want to grab someone like Kokrak or Landry, um, they seem like they're high risk golfers, but we still got them 67% to make the cut. And if you kind of wipe the names and you build the, the slate like a normal slate, you see, you know, that your team's got, you know, 23% chance of getting six of six or 83% chance of getting six of six. And it's not a whole lot different. It's just, it feels less comfortable doing it. Um, and I think, you know, that will end up to some more congested ownership on some of the names that we talk about that that are comfortable. So I do think it seems like uh, a good week to kind of make some of those pivots. I definitely think that the $7,000 range has a bunch of pivot options. Um, but I think for the first time, a lot of times um, in some of the sharper fields, it seems like DraftKings has a lot of data and they end up putting guy- prices on guys in the $6,000 range that um, make them not really playable. And this week we actually have some decent values that we can play. And so not only does Stars and Scrubs, Scrubs seem optimal um, just from a macro roster construction because of the way that the tournament is set up, but we're also getting more value down here as far as T20 upside and make cut probability than we normally get. And so you talked about a couple of the names, but there's also someone like Ben Crane who's down at 6,700 who we've still got with more than a 65% chance of making the cut, Aaron Badley, and then Brandon and Harkins is an interesting guy because uh, definitely a little bit more volatile, uh, but from a fantasy scoring perspective, he has been a good showdown play um, if you're looking to punt there. And if he makes the cut, he usually tends to make birdies. And so if he's kind of the last guy in your roster, he's the type of guy that might finish 50th, 60th in the tournament, but maybe finish 30th, 40th inside the fantasy scoring environment because of a couple extra birdies. So um, it'll be an interesting week to kind of put together those teams. 
Yeah, on other weeks, I mean, you generally see the mid-cut probabilities. When you get down here, you're talking like 50-ish percent or, or low 60s. You're getting really down. And this week, you do have those mid-65 percent. And I think part of the reason why they're viable plays is you see all the bump in pricing on a lot of these mid-tier guys, and then these guys just stay at their normal price. So they don't get the bump in pricing that a lot of the other guys in the field did. So relatively, they make sense. Um, any other notes as it pertains to DraftKings strategy or any guys you want to single out for this week? No, I mean, I, I think thinking about kind of the macro roster construction and whether or not you think the course will play as difficult as it did last week is um, kind of a good place to start. And I know we talked a little bit about how we think Stars and Scrubs could be interesting on DraftKings. I think Stars and Scrubs is usually the optimal way to build on FanDuel. And so kind of interested to see how roster construction ends up over on FanDuel this week um, as well. Just because I think there are uh, there always are some opportunities where guys are maybe a little bit overpriced on DK and end up being good FanDuel plays. Um, and so... There, there are a lot of punts. Like we talked about Kokrak being a decent play in DraftKings. He's a guy that we've loved punting on Vandal. Yeah, and you mentioned the price discrepancies. It's interesting just looking, you know, up top and uh, our best values. Kokrak at 7,700 really lets you build those stars and scrub build. Alex Shake is another guy who's really cheap. Andrew Landry, uh, who we like over there. But looking up top at some of the salaries there, I mean, you've got a huge discrepancy even between like Tiger and Francesco Molinari that you're not going to get on DraftKings. And, it's tough to tell where the ownership will lie, but maybe there's an edge there and, and fading Tiger. We're already down on him relative to Molinari and Fowler on DK, but I think especially so on FanDuel. And then you get someone like Ben on who we really like on DK. It's the opposite. He's priced way up there on FanDuel. He's within the top 10 priced guys overall. Yeah, like Charles Howell the third is priced fourth in the field at FanDuel, and um, I think he's out of play there. You can get Molinari as I think the seventh or eighth most expensive guy. So I definitely think that it is a good week to play multiple sites. I think if you're looking for that exposure and you can kind of end up with some natural diversification of your lineups. Um, another guy that is really expensive on DraftKings that you get a little bit of a discount on is Kyle Stanley. And then David Lingworth I had talked about as being bad chalk on DraftKings, but it seems like a reasonable play on FanDuel. And so maybe that's where some of the chatter is coming a little bit. Um, definitely between the kind of stars and scrubs set up and then the diversification of pricing this week seems like a good opportunity to build um, lineups on both of the sites. And, and I know that FanDuel, like first place prizes aren't quite as big, but the prizes are definitely more attainable because of the smaller fields and less content focused on that. So leaning on the fantasy projections and, and trying to diversify on both the sites is something I'm going to be trying to make sure that I do this week. Plus, you get to play Anurban Lahiri, my boy, over on FanDuel. Much better price tag there. So if that's not enough to make you play on FanDuel, Colin, I just I have no idea what will get you over there. Um, but outside of week-specific stuff, Data Golf did a cool thing this week. They released their top 100 rankings. It's basically their version of uh, the World Golf Rankings. And on that page, they actually compare to the World Golf Rankings. You can see where they differ. Uh, so, Colin, did you get a chance to check those out yet? Yeah, I was looking at the top 20, um, kind of half making fun of them, but Steve Stricker popping in there was, was, uh, entertaining just because we played him so much, but I still didn't think that they'd have him, you know, 20th, 20th in the world. 
I think Stricker is the biggest ranked difference. He's, we have him 20th. Uh, world golf rankings have him 123rd. Is there a bias in the world golf rankings in terms of number of events played? Is that part of the reason why Stricker is so yeah, down there? So I, there's definitely a bias as far as the number of events played. Uh, the other thing that I think there's a, a bias on, maybe that, I don't know if a bias is the right word or not, but, uh, the way that they weigh wins, um, is different. And, so I think that a lot of the guys that David Golf is higher on have really strong adjusted scoring averages over a long period of time. Um, and maybe even recently they do as well, but maybe they haven't found the podium quite as frequently. And some of the guys that the world golf rankings are higher on, like Justin Thomas, um, have won more frequently, but don't have the same long-term adjusted scoring averages. And so it's trying to figure out like how much of that is variance versus how much of that is skill. And I think that's where a lot of the discrepancies end up being. Obviously you're playing a golf tournament to win but you're playing gpps to win too and there's a lot of variance that goes into like some random guy holding out for a birdie on the last hole you know and swinging the gpp leaderboard and so it's just interesting to kind of think about that with the lens of like dfs in mind is just the you know is it the win that matters or is it really getting into that top you know one percent the top five percent or whatever that shows more skill and so i think that was the first thing that kind of jumped out to me with their approach versus the approach of the official world of golf rankings yeah you see paul casey for example he's fourth in the data golf rankings versus 12th in the world golf rankings maybe bad timing to have that conversation after he just blew that four stroke lead and i'm still super angry about it i think he was fifth worst on Sunday of all the players that made the cut, something like that in terms of his score. So egregious Paul Casey, but I know our guy Richard from across the pond is not happy with the Tommy Fleetwood ranking at 22 overall. A guy that we often have a tough time deciding what to do with. I was surprised to see that in their trend, he actually dropped a little bit in the data golf rankings. I would have felt like as some of the older data dropped off, he'd be moving up. But some of that just randomness of what events got attached on. Obviously, awesome performance at the U.S. Open, ranking second. Uh, the world golf rankings have him 10th. So uh, where where do you think Fleetwood is closer to, 22nd or 10th? Mm, I mean, it'd be kind of boring to split the difference, but I feel like that is kind I knew, of. I knew that was coming. You know, he's right, like Molinari, Finau, like right kind of there in that range, um, or not Molinari, uh, Matsuyama and Finau, kind of right there. I mean, it seems like it, it makes sense. I definitely would, would take Fleetwood over Stricker to win a major, um, if you were trying to offer that up head to head. And so, but I, I do notice that's one of the consistencies is, uh, with the public perception as well as far as how guys have done. So like Bryson, Bubba Watson are another, you know, pair of guys that have won events this year year and are seen a lot higher by the public perception and also by the official world golf rankings um obviously on tour like you're trying to win right that's where all the money is it's even it's as top heavy as a gpp is in dfs so there's definitely something to be said about guys who win but that doesn't necessarily mean they're more skilled they could just be you know running pure and so um that seems to be the biggest difference between i I know there's some subtle differences as far as how they weight field strength and things like that but it seems to be the biggest driver um i definitely feel like bryson kind of on the uptick in the models. Um, Bubba's just a guy that even though he has been winning, like he, he's been doing it on, you know, a few courses and other events and quote unquote non-Bubba tracks haven't been as strong. And so I think that's a lot of the reason that um, he's substantially lower in the world golf rankings than he is in the data golf rankings. 
Yeah, I was pretty pumped to see my boy Tony Finau up to 17th in the rankings. He's 31st in world golf rankings. Uh, I saw some odds on him. At, I think it was like 66 to 1 at the Open Championship. I like that early number on him. Uh, but we've got a few minutes left, Colin. I don't know if you've got any more uh, things that you want to shed light on the top 100 rankings, guys you agree with, don't agree with, stuff that surprised you or anything you want to look forward to, um, fire away. No, I mean, not, not a whole lot. Uh, we'll have the betting blog updated again this week, um, post some head-to-heads. I mentioned some of the ones from my bookie. If you guys are going to make an account there, use the promo FNTSY to unlock that discount. And um, definitely a site that, you know, now that we have an affiliate agreement set up with them, that I'm going to be looking to um, make some more of those head-to-head recommendations. It was pretty easy for me to set things up and deposit. So that's always one of the risks that I've found with the offshore stuff is just, the um you know how reputable it is as far as payments and then the ability to to get money on and off and so um you can can deposit a lot of different ways whether it's with the depreciating bitcoin that you want to get rid of or or cash either one works all right that'll do it for us on this edition of going for the green on the fantasy sports network thanks for tuning in please make sure to check us out on itunes rate us leave us a review it goes a long way and best of luck in all your contests everyone